From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Butchers, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Nothing's more heartbreaking than to lose a newborn, yet Mississippi ranks almost last in the U.S. for infant deaths, and the U.S. ranks 51st among countries. There are ways we can change this, but why haven't we? Co-sleeping, substance use during pregnancy, low rates of breastfeeding are all contributors, and there's more. So what can we do? Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and this is Relatively Speaking. Today we're talking about infant mortality and what we can do. Nothing is more heartbreaking than to lose a newborn. Yet... We still, our state, ranks almost last in the U.S. for infant deaths. And the U.S. ranks 51st among countries, yet we are the, I believe it's the 11th most wealthy. There are ways we can change this, but we haven't. Why is that? There's co-sleeping, substance use, alcohol use, low rates of breastfeeding. Those are all contributors. Smoking in the home of an infant. There's lots more. What can we do and why aren't we doing it? Well, today we're going to talk about that. And I want to hear your stories and your thoughts about things. And we do have an early caller who's been waiting for a few minutes. So let's go on to the phones before I give you a little more information. We have Elliot in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Elliot. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining in early. Tell us what your thoughts are. Well, you know, I think it's shameful and frankly immoral that we're the richest country in the world and we have we're number 51 i mean you know this says a lot about us and i think um i think there's things on a micro level we can do i mean certainly there's practices and responsibilities that people can take in in trying to lower the infant mortality but overall i think if you were to you know um, draw a correlation between those countries who have universal health care and their infant mortality rate, I think you would see that there's a strong correlation there. And uh, I think, I I mean, because we don't have universal health care, it's do-it-yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more expensive health care, but not necessarily the best. I think this is reflected in it. Is it the only cause? No. But it's, it's a great... Uh, I would argue that it's a great factor in explaining it, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, until we go to a model where we're covering everybody and everybody's cared for, this will continue to happen. And it's shameful and embarrassing. And, you know, what? It, it should cause us to look at ourselves as Americans and ask ourselves, what are we doing to our own people? So I wow. appreciate it. That's it. Wow, Elliot. 
You brought up uh, a point that is absolutely something we'll be talking about as we move through the show today, universal health care. You know, if you don't have an avenue to take good care of yourself, um, that does something to infant mortality. And this might be a good time for me to go ahead and bring our guest on because we're going to talk about taking care of yourself, doing the right thing, um, making sure the home environment is a good one. But also another issue that is part of that universal health care home visiting is something that um, we'll be talking about later in the show. But I want to introduce Ashley Radke. I'm delighted to have her here as my guest. She is a pediatric nurse practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and she's completing a fellowship in behavioral developmental peds as part of our HRSA-funded Child Health and Development Project. So, Ashley, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, Ashley, you have a Master's of Science in Nursing from Georgia State University, but you've been all over. Tell us just a teeny bit. We're going to get to our next caller, too, because I think there are a lot of people interested in this topic, and and why do we continue to allow ourselves to be It's a very important topic. You've traveled around the world, though, right? I have. So I actually grew up in Wisconsin, and I joined the military at a very young age. I was able to travel the world, gain really important life experiences, experience and then use my GI Bill to go to nursing school undergraduate. I was an RN for seven years, but the last about three years of my nursing career, I was in the NICU or the neonatal neonatal intensive care unit, as well as a home health nurse to medically fragile children. So um, you have a lot of experience in this area, and I know you're very passionate about Mm -hmm. why we're not taking as uh, good a care of our citizens, and especially the tiniest of those, the babies, the infants. The most vulnerable. The most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Why are we so bad uh, across the world? 51st, and I think many of you heard me say that we aren't the wealthiest, but we are one of the wealthiest. We're uh, about 11th as far as per capita income goes. So mm-hmm. moving along, thanks for being here. Um, and thanks for having a passion in this area because we need more like Absolutely. you. But let's go on back to the phones. We have um, Eric in Ocean Springs. Uh, Eric, you have some something to say about infant mortality also? Uh, yes, ma'am. Um, I, you know, thank you. Uh, thank you for having the guest today because I think it can bring up a, a real key point with this. I've traveled abroad as well with the military, okay. and a lot of people think this is an issue we can throw money at. Y'all, if we just had universal health care, our babies would live longer. But I'm really interested to hear what your caller has or what your guest has to say on this too. Is one thing I noticed, especially in Europe, where they have the lower infant mortality, is it has a lot to do with cultural things. In our country, we we tend to decide legally on the side of parents know best and you don't take kids away from their parents unless it's a real until a kid's already been harmed but in europe if you have a smoker in your house they will take your kids away from you they don't hesitate to remove children from their uh parents and that might be an inf- reason for lower infant infant mortality is that something we're willing to do Wow. Well, let me address that first, and then I'll I'll have Ashley address it also. 
Um, Eric, we know that one of the hardest things that can happen is to take a child away from their parent. And I think the that is likely not the answer in most cases. Now, um, is it the, the, the answer... Uh, in some, yes, absolutely. There are some individuals who just really don't know how, won't refuse to do the right thing for their child or inflict harm. And we know that there is need for that. I, I think you you mentioned something, though, that I want to go back to because you're right. Uh, other countries, Scandinavia does a great job of this. Um, other countries take much better care of their newborns. And something they do is they go into the homes and they do home visiting and they, they recommend what the home environment le- needs to look like for a healthy young infant. And Ashley, I'm going to let you make a few yeah. comments on that. Yeah. So I think when we're looking at the care of infants, infant mortality, child health, we're kind of looking at health through generations, right? Like right. through generationally, we look at what our grandparents did and how our, our parents raised us. So what I think is really great about home visiting is this is a way for um, healthcare to enter the home and really empower parents and give parents the tools to do what's in the best interest of the children, whether that's sleeping on their back for SIDS reduction or helping with breastfeeding, any of these things, home visitors can really work with parents to empower them and give them those tools. Right. Um, Eric, uh, again, your point is, is well taken and, you know, up, Probably about 15 years ago, I was in Amsterdam and looking at some of their programs as to what was going on. I was doing a presentation on the fact that Mississippi did was one of the first states in the country. That was where we were at the top doing universal hearing screening on newborns. And I'm very proud of our state for that. But in Amsterdam and across across Holland, um, they did home visits. They went into the home um, before the baby was born to look at the health environment. So they looked at smoking, Eric. They um, let people know they were not to smoke in the home with babies. They if they had to, they smoked outside. They looked at um, other safety environments. And then after the baby was born, did um regular home visits until all was stable. So, um, yeah, I th- I think we, we do know, though, also that we have had some significant problems for our child pro- in our area of child protective services, and that does need to be fixed. Not always taking children away from their parents, but helping parents know how to appropriately parent. So, um, Eric, did that help a little bit? Uh, yes, ma'am. I mean, I know it's a hard issue when you start yeah. talking about taking kids away from their family. You know, the, the, the daggers come out. Yeah. But, you know, that's exactly what we're talking about, right? I mean, we, got, we can't mince it. Either we care about the kids or, 
you know, we don't. And, and as a society, we do have a vested interest in our kids. At least I believe. I don't, I don't yeah. know. We need to that. protect them. And as Ashley said, they are our most vulnerable citizens. So thank you for your call. And thanks yes, for being thank enraged about it. I think we all wish more people would, like you and our first caller, um, just decide that this is unconscionable and we need to do something about it. So... What we're going to do is move through this. Um, I'd love for others to join in calls. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send us an email to family at mpbonline.org. Uh, we're talking about infant mortality. We're going to take our first break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the causes and then what we can do, what we should be doing, and why aren't we doing it. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and this is Relatively Speaking. Today we're talking about infant mortality. Why does Mississippi rank among the highest with infant mortality? We are, we are just not doing what we need to do. So what is the answer? So today we're um, here with Ashley Radke, nurse practitioner, who is talking with us um, some of the, through some of the issues that are ongoing in Mississippi. Now, we had a couple of early callers who brought up some great points. Um, Health care. Why aren't we taking better care of our citizens? If we took better care of our citizens, perhaps our babies would be better cared for. Um, the other issue is, um, why aren't we, many, as parents, doing the right things for our children? Is it because we can't? We don't know how, perhaps. So in Mississippi, I want to bring up a few things that we really need to talk about, because I guess things differ in different countries. Um, but in Mississippi, specifically, the answer is not as clear-cut as we'd like for it to be. Um, yes, some of it's health care, but there's some other issues going on. Um, the top three issues in our state are said to be premature births, sudden unexpected infant death, what we used to call SIDS, and now we call SUDS, I believe, or something like that, S-U-I-D-S, and, and then genetic defects. And um, the interesting thing that we want us to talk about today is that um, over half of these occur within the first months of life. Okay. Over half of the issues and the deaths, honestly. So uh, let's talk about 
the one of the first causes and um, that our first caller addressed is um, prematurity because if we had better health care we might not have quite as much going on so Ashley let's talk a little bit about just the why why Mississippi has the highest rate of prematurity in the nation right so there's a couple different factors that go into premature births. By definition, prematurity is delivery before 37 weeks. And um, some of the different things that that can go into that is um, obesity. So Mississippi has one of the highest obesity rates. Right. And um, women who conceive and deliver who are overweight have a higher risk of premature births. Um, Smoking, High blood pressure, with also which also goes along with obesity, um, closely spaced births, teen pregnancies, women who conceive with chronic illness, substance abuse, um, health before pregnancy, so prenatal care, all of that factors into premature births. Right. So let's talk about uh, pregnant women can access health care once they find out that they're pregnant, right, mm-hmm. um, through Medicaid. And, so, and ca- so can newborn infants. But there are several issues that sort of throw a confounder in there, just knowing how to access that, being knowledgeable. And you said something um, about health prior to birth. So um, you are at higher risk if you are a substance abuser to have an uh, unplanned pregnancy, right? Correct. Uh, And so many times individuals with unplanned pregnancy, teenagers too, um, so unplanned pregnancies typically, because they're not planned, people aren't looking for the pregnancy, so they don't find out they're pregnant until they're well into the formation of that fetus, right? Mm-hmm. And so by uh, by eight weeks, we know the neural tube is closed. That's when so many people discover that they're pregnant. We've talked about this on this show before. So um, the the issue of being in good health before you find out that you are pregnant is probably one of the best things we could do. Right. Right. And I think what's really important to note about all, all of these or most of these things are preventable. So yeah. prematurity is preventable. And I think that's kind of the takeaway from a lot of this is that we can address these issues. We can address yeah. these. And, you know, I know we're, we're really talking about um, the, our most vulnerable. But let's talk about it just for a second from an economic standpoint. Sure. So a healthy term baby costs about $5,000 yes. at birth. Right. Correct. Um, This is pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The cost of a baby born prematurely who ends up in a a neonatal intensive care unit, a NICU, is upwards of fifty five thousand. And that's probably a low estimate. Right. Probably. And I I know there are probably some parents out there 
who have had babies with prematurity and you've looked at those uh, NICU bills that come back and they're unbelievable in the hundreds of thousands sometimes. I'd be interested to hear from callers who had babies in NICU to hear what, what their medical bills were. And but what in the world correct. they do about that. Yeah. Right. We'd love to hear from you. Join in the conversation about what is going on with our neonatal mortality, our infant mortality and death and how we can change it. And do you want to try to make a change? You can give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So prematurity is obviously um, one of those issues um, that we need to talk about. But I really want us to go ahead and move to another very difficult topic. Uh, the second most common cause of infant mortality in Mississippi still is sudden infant death, sudden unexplained infant death. And so um, most of these deaths occur while the infant is sleeping or in a sleeping area, meaning a bed, a couch, a recliner, um, you know, uh, wherever they are, a bassinet. Um, and and often, you know, in in the hopes of having this beautiful little surrounding, um, we uh, decorate our baby beds. But I think many people have understood that that's not okay. I want you to talk a little bit about that. But the other thing that often happens is that um, parents like to be near their babies, and so. Co-sleeping, sleeping in the same bed with their babies. Let's talk a little bit about that, Ashley, and what parents really need to know and what they need to do to prevent a horrible incident like SUDS. Yeah. So when we talk about this, what we follow as providers is the American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines. And so these were just updated in 2016. And what they really kind of piece out is defining what co-sleeping is because it's very different than bed sharing. So co-sleeping can be having a crib in the bedroom or um, bed sharing is having the infant in the bed. In the bed. So when we talk about co-sleeping, just making sure that we understand that there's a difference in terminology based on the AAP. Right, right. So baby in the bedroom, but not in the same bed with you. Um, we have another caller who I think wants to address what we were talking about a moment yeah. ago. We have Tori in Mobile, Alabama. Hi, Tori. Thanks for calling and listening in hey, Alabama. Tori. Hi. Hi. So talk to us. You have some questions about midwife care in Mississippi. Yeah, well, I'm actually a Mobile resident, but I delivered both of my children across state lines in Mississippi. And we used a midwife who was out of hospital. And the quality of care that I received was just so different from a lot of my friends that had hospital births. Everything from our nutrition, like had to do daily food logs, um, you know, my mental health was important, my relationships were important, Um, our midwife was more in tune, and it was very personal. So, I don't know, I just feel like maybe that had 
a more positive outcome on our pregnancy because I was so closely watched, you know. Throughout your pregnancy, right, mm-hmm. Tori? And even, and even yeah. after. Mm-hmm. And That's even so after. So, okay, Tori, I'm so happy you had a good experience. Let, let's just address a couple of things because I want everybody to know that the reason we have births in hospitals is for those emergency situations when um, perhaps uh, something terrible happens, unexpected or unexplained. So I, I, I don't want to come across as promoting in-home births because I, I do worry sometimes, though it sounds like, Tori, you had a great experience, and I know many people out there have great experiences. But one thing that made that experience so great is is home visiting, yes. which is right. <laughs> that's exactly so what I was thinking. That's what that midwife was doing. She mm-hmm. was visiting you. Did she visit you um, before your pregnancy? Uh, yes. Well, I visited her because I live mm-hmm. in Mobile. Okay. We delivered in Mississippi. So, so you went and visited with her, and she gave you advice about what? Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the different pieces of advice that you got. Oh, everything. Um, I mean, I felt like by the time I was ready to deliver that I could have been a midwife with Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Um, every, I mean, everything, um, nutrition, you know, what happens during the different stages of labor and delivery and what to expect and um, way more than just normal Lamaze childbirth classes. We met multiple times a month. Um, and then, of course, we received the same tests that we do with an obstetrician. To, uh, we had a fallback obstetrician just in case I showed any signs of, you know, preeclampsia or gestational diabetes. And, um, you know, once we did our anatomy scans, it was, you know, safe to say that I was not a high risk. I was a low risk, very healthy woman and that um, we could have labor and delivery under the help of the midwife. So, yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that up, because obviously, I think, Tori, what you've just done is support our contention, right, Ashley, that home visiting um, makes a big difference. And so even though you traveled, it wasn't exactly home visiting. Think about the convenience if somebody had come to your home to talk to you about the nutrition. And Ashley, why don't you talk to us just for a Mm -hmm. moment about what home visiting in other countries and in other states, because there are other states in in the United States that have implemented robust, wonderful home visiting programs that have been successful, right? Right. Well, first, Tori, thanks so much for calling in, because what you described is home visiting. So it's, it's, having the exposure to this knowledge, which ultimately makes you healthier in pregnancy and makes a healthier delivery and a healthier infant. And so home visiting is where um, it's voluntary. And so a paraprofessional or a nurse comes to the home and offers these services to you. Um, They can do screeners like depression screeners after delivery developmental screeners they offer advice and support and again i mean the key word here is just empowering families mm-hmm. um to to create healthier homes it's it's really amazing right 
And the support, just um, how many individuals out there had breastfeeding issues? And, you know, you had to go visit someone, go back to your OB to find out what was going on or make some sort of phone call. Or if you had enough money, you could access a breastfeeding expert who would come into your home or you could go there. So... But but imagine if everybody had the same opportunity to do that as the wealthy. Um, that mm-hmm. that is what we would hope could happen. Um, before we go to our next break, Tori again. Thanks for calling. Yes, thank you. But before we go to our next break, let's go to David in Horn Lake. David. You have some thoughts about infant mortality also. Thanks for calling. Well, i got a question. Uh, sure. Uh, there's been a big push here, here lately about CBD oil, which is, uh, I think, hemp oil and medical marijuana. Right. And uh, my question to you is, would, if, if it, would it affect a woman's pregnancy and the infant's health, health and if there have been any studies on that, and if there, and also is there any studies about uh, some of the stuff maybe uh, having a... Um, Mixing up with pharmaceutical drugs, maybe you've been taking, I don't know, because um, uh, they're CBD or they're advertising, they're giving away free samples now, and they're advertising it, it helps pain, depression, diabetes, and it's kind of like <laughs> wild west snake oil, it cures everything. <laughs> yeah, David, those are those are good questions, and I, I'm with you. It's, it, so far, it sounds like it's the cure for everything, but CBD oil is... Um, is uh, not approved for the treatment of many things as of yet. There are some ongoing studies, and in fact, in Mississippi, uh, there is a study at the University of Mississippi Medical Center using CBD oil um, um, in seizure disorders in young children. And it's been looked at in the use of it for uh, pain treatment in, in cancer and other things. But the studies are still ongoing. And I will tell you, it would be exceedingly difficult to get any kind of study on preg- pregnant women using any kind of um, such substance because we were so much about causing harm to that um, little body that's being formed and the brain and so much changing is going on in utero. So, um, you know, the rec- we do know that um, marijuana use, high marijuana use during pregnancy has been implicated in causing cleft lip, cleft palate and um, some other uh, questionable issues. So, um the cleaner the pregnancy, the better we know fetal alcohol uh, spectrum alcohol use during pregnancy has been shown to cause significant problems. Smoking during pregnancy, um, you know, there are several other um, drugs and medications that can cause problems. So um, a, a good point. Um, and again, I think I would in, implore everybody out there before before you even consider putting anything in your body, if you are thinking about being pregnant, you better make sure about the safety. And just because it's over the counter doesn't mean it's safe. So, David, thanks for calling and bringing up that point because, um, yeah, there's a lot of talk about it out there now. So just um, 
Think about the science of it and um, think about what happened back in the old days with some medicines, um, the um, babies who ended up without limbs uh, when mothers were taking a medication that they thought was not harmful to their child. Of course, that medicine's off the market, but there are other uh, potential harmful things out there that you might not know about. So always check. All right. Well, let's go on to our second break. And when we come back, we'll keep talking about infant mortality. Just call in with your question if you have any thoughts or maybe if you have some solutions. Uh, Give us a call. We'll talk a little bit more about um, ways to prevent uh, that sudden unexplained infant death syndrome also. Uh, Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and I'm here with Ashley Rackey, nurse practitioner. And we're talking about infant mortalities, ways to prevent it. Home visiting is one of those. Knowing what is a safe environment for your child. Having somebody help you with that. Those are things that that we can do to try to help. And so um, let's move on and, and talk a little bit more about the sudden unexplained infant death syndrome. Um, we'd love for you guys to join in, you listeners. Uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline dot org. So let's go on to um, the second most common cause of infant mortality in Mississippi, that sudden unexplained infant death. Um, it's obviously something we've been talking about home visiting and and how how that might help. Why might home visiting help prevent some of these sudden unexplained infant deaths? Ashley, talk to us a little bit about that. So we've touched on this a couple times throughout the show, and it's basically education is what it comes down to. So we know that there are a lot of different things that prevent SIDS or SUDS. And um, one of those is making sure that they have a safe sleep environment. So the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends a firm sleep surface. So this is a mattress that is in a safety-approved crib covered by a fitted sheet. No stuffed animals, extra blankets, or other bedding. And 
this can so, be... So um, I'm going to interrupt yeah. you for a minute. I think people just have such a hard time not keeping things cute in the bed. It, really important not even to put a stuffed animal or a small pillow in the bed. Talk to us about right. that. And even bumpers even, as well. Yeah, That's the hard because yeah. um, that, that does increase the risk. What about those breathable? They, you know, they back in the day when I was having my children, we had the pillow like beautiful little lace uh, bumpers or for boys, something with nope. sailboats. No, not okay. <laughs> Nothing like now, that. They do make a netting um, type bumper that is breathable. Those are thought to be safe. Is that correct? Well, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Right. Absolutely nothing. And I, th- from what I read, the reason that bumpers were even used was because of the spacing on the crib, the, mm-hmm. the rails. Right. And so that's changed with the new models. And so there's really no need for a bumper to be in a crib. So parents and grandparents and all of those who are watching after these newborn infants, I wanted to, us to make a point in that mm-hmm. because I think people are so afraid that the baby is going to bump their head on the side rail mm-hmm. and cause an injury. That's not going to happen. Um, the injury is more likely if you clutter up the crib with anything. So just, you know, antique cribs are out. Do not use one, no matter how pretty they are. You can't make them as safe as the newer ones are. So um, I would encourage those of you who who can't uh, afford one, uh, a brand new one, to, to look at going to a consignment store. Many people, after they have their kids, have the newer version uh, that are safer. So if anybody out there, by the way, has suggestions on how to access these safety items for uh, newborns, give us a call. Um, Or if you are a good resource for uh, mothers in their education, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. I have a question. do you think mothers are supported in Mississippi to breastfeed? Uh, do you think that um, do you listeners receive encouragement to breastfeed? Do you feel like our society still frowns on any kind of public breastfeeding? And does that um, increase anxiety? I, I just, you know, I think we still... Mm-hmm act like this is sometimes a a negative or dirty thing if a mother has to stop when she's out in public. We still don't have um, rooms out there for maternal breastfeeding. And, And I know I'm bringing up a point, but this is sort of a sidebar because we know breastfeeding decreases mm-hmm. the risk of sudden infant death. So why why doesn't everybody do it? Uh, and why do you think there's been a bit of a pushback about public breastfeeding? Do you have a thought, Ashley? I mean, I know that statistically we're not doing it enough in Mississippi. No. But it, it really is kind of hard to say why, if it's a cultural thing, um, if it's a medical thing, what are hospitals teaching? 
Um, are we going to our well visit checks and discussing breastfeeding there? You know, there's a lot of different points in healthcare that mothers can get information and support. And are we as a medical community supporting that? Those are really good questions. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I just think that this this ought to be a highlight of every single visit. And again, another reason being a woman who breastfed four children, I will say that um, it was not the first time was not easy. Mm-hmm. It's it was not completely all intuitive to me as it is apparently to some. So I think we need to know that a lot of times mothers need support. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate thing is because there has been a low rate of breastfeeding in our state, uh, sometimes the mothers of these new mothers uh, can't lend the support they need because they don't know. Yeah. So I think that would be something that we need to to know and I'd love to hear from our listeners you can call us at 1877 MPB ring that's 18776727464 um I we have an anonymous caller um so not sure where they are but and that is perfectly fine by the way listeners if you want to call in and not give your name and give an opinion Please feel free to do that. That is certainly your right, and I won't press you. So this is somewhere in the U.S. anonymous. So we're going to you. Um, Good morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you for answering my call. So many improvements and knowledge have been made along the way in decades of medical research and technology and um, people right. having more money to do with or not, but this is based upon of family members, uh, and actually one of my um, grandparents-in-law mm-hmm. family members thing, which they were raising children in the 30s and 40s and 50s, right, and. You're speaking about cribs and the safety of them, and that is fine. But there are very many people still who cannot keep their homes warm enough for a child being in a safe crib. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I learned through this experience of theirs and this is, most people in the United States would not be having to consider this, but there are very many families who still do. That kind of goes back, just have something that swaddles your baby physically without being in the crib. Mm-hmm. And you can put a covering over the crib to retain heat while not interfering with the activity or the breathing of the baby as well. So, I, I am calling from Mississippi, uh-huh. and there are a lot of people who struggle 
to keep their homes warm. Yeah. You may not can keep them warm. But for the protection of a very beloved child, any child, if this is a situation you're facing and you have um, very limited funds, yes, absolutely make sure the crib itself is safe. And there are ways you can use to keep your baby warm and keep the area warmer for that baby without having to expose them to these other dangers mm-hmm. of SIDS. Yeah, I, I hear you, um, and and I I think we're both nodding that you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You know, we have one of the highest rates of poverty in the nation. Sixty six mm-hmm. or so percent of our children in Mississippi live in poverty at the poverty rate, um, which is abominable. It's awful. Um, and and you're absolutely right about that. Now, I do uh, want us to think carefully about putting anything over the crib, um, again, that might fall into the crib. We want to be careful about that. And yet again, another reason to have a home visitor come in mm-hmm. and safety up the home and let a parent know the safest things that they can do. Right. Now, one is swaddling. And, um, you know, they make little infant bags, but there are lessons on the internet to teach you how to appropriately swaddle a child. Um, the head is one of the biggest portions of the body, so to have a little hat on the baby to protect the head from that um, heat gain loss um, um, on the head is also an, an important piece. But um, anonymous somewhere in Mississippi, thank you for your call because you're right. And um, and I would encourage people who who are having difficulty heating their homes to um, try to access um, the any kind of resource that might be out there to help you. Uh, call the Department of Human Services. Call, um, call up your state agencies or your city agencies to ask for help. Um, I think it would be really important to access whatever you can out there. But again, the health department, if we could get home visiting going on, mm-hmm. we could make a huge difference in individuals' lives. Boy, our lines are lighting up. So let me go on to, uh, I'm going to go to David in Oxford. Um, hi, David. Thanks for calling. Yeah, hello. Um, I, I am a Mississippian, and I currently live in Mississippi, but my child was born in St. Louis when I was living in St. Louis, and they, they were just the, the one of the they had a person there specifically to inform us about breastfeeding and about how to go about it. If, and mm-hmm. and and my wife, she didn't take exactly you know it didn't take just right away. It, it took some work. Right, it can be but difficult. But I have witnessed, I have a large family, extended family, and cousins and baby cousins and such. And I've just witnessed, you know, that I've been there at the days of birth in some of the Mississippi Delta hospitals. And it's just like the, they'll give you a kit with formula in it and tell you about formula. But, uh, you mm-hmm. know, breastfeeding is just like the lowest part of the totem of, of the health of the children, it seems. 
and it just seems to be a shameful, even a shameful thing here in Mississippi. People were, when we come here and and my um, wife would breastfeed, it, they, you know, people would just be shocked and like, oh, my God, the person's breastfeeding. Wow. And it's such a yeah. natural thing, and it's so healthy for the babies, and, I, and we have such a high infant mortality rate. Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, How and, important it is, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just shameful, I think. And, it, and we also live in a state where, you know, even sex education is frowned upon in school, public school. It's just... It, yeah. I'm just calling to make that commentary, and, and just, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't just. I just don't quite get wh- why we are where we are in that process. You know. Thanks, and David. I guess it's just more of a comment. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate your call. We both no, do. No. We're both nodding and smiling yeah. and saying we need more men like you to yes. speak out. You know, so many times it's women speaking out, but we need men to speak out and say this is wrong, this can't continue, and we need to make this a priority in our state. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Let's go to our next line. We have an anonymous caller in Mobile. Hi, Mobile. Thanks for calling. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I'm one of numerous children, over a half dozen, and um, the middle child in our family. Uh My mother, unfortunately, in picking her up when she was three weeks old, broke her leg. And that was due to one of the... uh, So, uh, yeah. Now, I've got to say that said three-week-old is now the grandmother of a dozen, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it has a happy ending, but it was not it, it was not happy at the time. And I'm wondering why, uh, even if you use one of these so-called antique things, you couldn't do something more creative like punch some holes in some cardboard and tie it on at the mm-hmm. level. I mean, they don't move around that much. The problem is sticking their feet or their arms out of the sides, yeah. right? Well, um, some of that. Some of the problem then is... Can, then you can get rid of the cardboard, or you can make it bigger. Cardboard, you... yeah. Um, cardboard's a barrier. Cardboard's something the baby's face could um, be plastered against. Sometimes babies surprise you, and they can warm. They can roll over um, sort of in a fluke and they against something. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for your call, but yeah, we can't recommend that, even though they're cute. Um, taping cardboard against it is probably not, hey, not. something more significant, mm-hmm. but, but makes a barrier so that that leg or arm doesn't get caught in those yeah. bars. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Well, let's go to our last caller because Timothy in Louisiana, I wanted you to have an opportunity. We have about a minute. Tell us what your thoughts are. I'm calling on behalf of my deceased mother. And she would say, contact your local Alechi League. And they probably got a website now. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. Um, my mother was a, a very strong woman. And I had five brothers. We were all breastfed. And when we were kids, I remember um, my younger brother Matthew was still at the breast, and uh, a woman got hassled down at J.C. Penney's for breastfeeding in the shoe department, but it was the only place they had a place you could sit down for a second. Yeah, yeah. And so my mother organized a feed-in, and like 20 (laughs) women and their babies descended on the J.C. Penney's in, in Texas City, Texas, and breastfed their babies. Wow. 
uh, J.C. Penney there set up a um, a um, they turned one of the changing stations, you know, like the dressing room area, uh-huh. uh, into a breastfeeding area. Wow, that's cutting edge. Well, Tim, yeah, that was nineteen fifty. Wow. Wow. What a story, Timothy. Your mother was cutting edge. Well, we are. She was a trick. (laughs) We're out of time, Timothy. But thank you so much for that call. And you're right. The Lalechi Lees is a great Mm -hmm. resource for breastfeeding advice. So, Ashley Radke, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I think that maybe there's a movement going on. I I think people believe in breastfeeding. So... Uh, really appreciate you. Um, thank you, Jay, our producer, our call screener, Michelle McAdoo. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next week for Relatively Speaking in NPR Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.